Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter. And it's Casual Friday. Casual Friday, we get to relax, right? Doesn't everything look casual now? No, it looks the same, right? We're always casual here. But today, uh, we'll be uh, talking about a whole bunch of things, answering your questions in the YouTube chat. Got some MMA stuff, maybe soccer. Soccer's tomorrow. MMA's tomorrow. NFL preseason. I'm not playing NFL preseason, but if you want to hey, look at something like that, that's fine. MLB tonight. I don't know. I haven't even looked at the slate. I don't know what the hell's going on, but we can take a look. So anything you want, anything goes on casual Fridays. First thing you need to do, give me those thummy thumbs. Thummy thumbs, ups and downs, ups and doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's up. It doesn't matter if it's down. Give me the thummy thumbs. Give me the subscribe button if you're new here. Give me the notification bell to know when we go live. There'll be a lot of stuff now. If you put the notification bell when NFL season starts up, we got a ton of content on the way uh, that the NFL schedule for Roto Grinders for, for media should be out uh, early next week. We got some shows. We got some. We got some premium shows. We got. We got everything for you here. But I see you in the YouTube chat. Lee Palm, who beat out Suki Singh. Typically, Suki is 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 the first one here. But Lee Palm got, got ten minutes early. So I see you guys: Jerome Lewis, Edward Brown, Andrew Garcia, Card Fan, Ryan Edwards, Daniel Hutchins, Tim Light, Webb, Webb T, Webb, Webb. Thank you, Webb, 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 Webb T, uh, Webb Ty. I don't know. One of those. Doug Montgomery, Kevin TG, right? Uh, we got Devin in the chat. Always wave hi to him. Hey, Devin. Okay. Eli should be back soon, right? Eli, Eli's been away for a while. Uh, but yesterday, yesterday's late. Is there a point to talk about yesterday's late? I did not do well. <laughs> I did not do well yesterday. Uh, it was a mix of having a little too much Patrick Corbin. Uh, yeah, that didn't that didn't go well. Uh Kikuchi was high owned. I had I had a, I, I had plenty of Kikuchi, but not I was under the field on Kikuchi. Uh, plenty of sure. I was way over on Scherzer, less on sale. So like pitching wise, like Eliezer Hernandez didn't really didn't really get there. Alex Wood didn't really get there. Like what was what was Hernandez? Like I must have been way over on Hernandez. Yeah. So, well, seventeen points ain't bad for his price, but nine percent owned. I had like thirty percent of him. Right. Didn't have much Darvish. Actually, I played the Dodgers against him. I had, I had a decent amount of Keller, but about 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 the field. My mo- my most exposed guys were more. Yeah, I didn't play anyone down here, but I had like like thirty percent Corbin. I had like eighteen percent Kikuchi, but I had like seventy percent Scherzer. They fit in. You you build any lineup you want. Yesterday there were too many cheap batters, but the but the Boston the Red Sox were the chalk, and if you had Bobby Dahlback in that stack, he had what seven RBIs. He had forty three points. And then he also had the Indians. I mean, it's like like the 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 stack as a whole individually. There were some missing pieces, right? Vasquez, Verdugo, Kiki Hernandez. Is this updated? I thought he got more points than nine points. JD Martinez. I'm not sure if this is updated. But like, I had a bunch of the Giants, and that didn't work out. But it's like you needed the main pieces. You needed Dahlbeck. You needed uh, Joe Ram. Over here with 33 points, Bradley Zimmer in the outfield. I think it was the highest scoring outfielder. You needed something like that. So you needed several key pieces. 
Because the Yankees, like I had a bunch of the Yankees. Yesterday, uh, Yankees, I think, were my most exposed team. Yankees, Giants. And the Yankees, uh, they were hitting home runs, right? Judge, Judge got there. Stanton got there. Gallo got there. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Didn't matter at all. And you could still fit those lineups with Scherzer in there. Play Scherzer at like, you know, 7K, Eliezer Hernandez. And then you could fit anything you want. But like the Diamondbacks went off. The Car- I, I had a good Cardinals lineup, even though I had, didn't have that much of them. But that didn't get there, right? Because I, I didn't have a third baseman that was worth a crap. I didn't have a first base, right? If you didn't have Bally Dahlbeck, don't even, don't even consider it. What's the first non-Dahlbeck lineup up here? Oh, this one, the one that won. You didn't even need Dahlbeck. Don't tell me you didn't even need Dahlbeck to win? Or is this not updated? We have to see if this is updated. Dahl. No, we had 43. We have him in the database. You're telling me that a non-Dahlbeck lineup won the bat flip yesterday? Well, Owen Miller had a home run. Okay. Well, I guess that allows you to get Ramirez and you have Carson Kelly as a one-off. Okay, I, I, I have Miguel Rojas as a one-off for 20 points. Solak at second base. Yeah, I guess you get enough points. Right, you go down over here. Here's another, Owen Miller, right? The Cleveland, the five-man Cleveland stack, right? Pete Alonzo in this one, but you still need a Cleveland. So five-man Cleveland. Here's the Boston. This is the full Boston stack. One, two, three, four, five. Straw and Zimmer, Defoe, 1% owned with 17 points. Scherzer sale. Scherzer sale, right, because these are all cheap. Well, this is Scherzer, Eliezer, Hernandez. It's like the the the, uh, the Cleveland stack. I mean, Straw was like what three thousand. Zimmer's twenty six hundred. I mean, Dahlbeck's under three k. I mean, see all these lineups. Like these are all like Scherzer sale type of lineups. And I wasn't, I wasn't really building those types of lineups because it's so chalky. I mean, like it's just yeah, you, you have one piece in here. I'm just not. I'm I'm just not going to build these types of lineups when the top scores are in the the low two hundreds. That means I probably didn't do very well. <laughs> uh, it's Pat with the St. Louis, Boston, Cleveland kind of mix. But not many catchers scored en- enough points. Like Carson Kelly did. This is an Arizona, Cleveland 5-3. But most days, this would be good enough. But it, what it wasn't. 210 wasn't good enough. Nerdy Tenor's best lineup was a 5-3 Cleveland, Boston. Right, but then you're stuck with Rosario and Kiki Hernandez, and that doesn't just give you enough. And Elias Hernandez, you're still, you know, 15 points behind first place. Joe Paradox is just a mess. Then you get the messy lineups, right? Just like the, just a bunch of people, just a bunch of just a bunch of one-offs, whatever, whatever happens. The Colts, what was his best lineup? Cleveland five man and you know okay Perez got him okay he, he scored right he had a grand slam Edmund but then you have Kukuchi basically Kukuchi's destroyed him right he could have he could have won with this lineup Kukuchi didn't give up that oh you know if did he play a pitcher and a he played a pitcher and a batter against each other that's weird was that on purpose so I was going to say, if Kikuchi didn't give up the Grand Slam, he may have done well enough. But if he didn't get the Grand Slam, Sal Perez wouldn't have gotten 20 points. Very weird. Maybe it does make sense. Maybe you couldn't have one batter against your pitcher as long as it's in, 
you know, scarce position like like Perez. I don't know. This is weird. I rarely ever see on a, on a, on a normal size slate any sharp player that's playing like a batter against their pitcher. Is that the new in thing? I don't know. I mean, it didn't work out. Obviously, you destroyed the ceilings of both players. You needed Sal Perez to hit that grand slam off the bullpen. Not off of Kikuchi. Because that dropped his points. That dropped him like 12 points. Odd. BK Reader. Told you, Lynn. It's mostly Cleveland. It's going to be Cleveland or Boston. I mean, it's, it's essentially the chalk. I mean, if we take a look, well, who's the chalk? Cleveland and Boston. All right, you have a mix of other stuff in here a bit once you get into the, the 8 to 10, 12% range. But Schwarber's 30%. Ramirez is 21%. Verdugo's 20%. Vasquez, 17%. Kike is uh, 17 JD is 16 And then you get Rosario, and you get uh, Framil Reyes, and then then uh, who else? And Miles Straw down here. Right, some of the some of the Zimmer eight percent. I mean, some of the Cleveland pieces weren't like absurdly owned, but they were the two chalky stacks, and that's what that's what you needed. That's what you needed yesterday. The chalk, the chalk. It seems like just the MLB. When does the chalk fail? It does. I mean, the chalk still fails. We just remember the times where it doesn't. Because if you're not, if you're someone that doesn't play as much of a chalk as as anyone else, it feels like it's like oh okay. Oh, the 27% don't batter is two home runs. And I have like, I have them in like three lineups. It's like, I hope those three lineups do well. <laughs> Going through the YouTube chat. Michael Dompia says he probably had the, had the, oh, he probably had Will Smith. And he had the late swap. Why didn't you, wouldn't you just late swap to Austin Barnes and just leave money on the table? Maybe. So he's saying, so okay, so now I now I get it because those are the late games, and he you had one one offs of Smith, and he had to choose between Sanchez or Sal Perez. So why not choose Sanchez and leave money on the table? Why not play Austin Barnes? Austin Barnes had a home run. He Austin Barnes actually hit a home run yesterday. I mean, it wouldn't have changed anything for the Colts, right? You wouldn't have had Perez. He would have had Austin Barnes's home run, and Kikuchi would have still given up the grand slam. But I was way under on sale yesterday. I think most of the field was. I mean, Cheese wasn't. He got 25 points. It's just that, I don't know what, it was a nine-game slate, and we already had Scherzer on it, and I wasn't really looking to play lineups that were Scherzer sale. I had to cho- I chose between the two. And with Sale only pitching 71 pitches the last start, I'm not sure how, how long. Are they going to let Sale pitch 110-plus pitches? No. Scherzer they would. So that, that to me that was that was that was the decider. Like most of my line of constructions are going to need are going to have a high price pitcher, and I don't want to play both of them together as much. So that's why that's why I was seventy percent Scherzer and like sixteen percent Sale. And the same thing with the Kikuchi, right? Instead of playing Kikuchi, I'm playing Eliezer Hernandez or Patrick Corbin. Then I'm throwing in some Alex Wood in the mid range, some other builds, and then there you go. Brad Keller, same thing, 5,200. Six points. I mean, he did better than Gaguchi. Then I didn't want to play Darvish at all. Darvish rejected much poorer than both Scherzer and Sale, so 
And then people wouldn't play the Dodgers against Darvish. So it makes the Dodgers even lower. You don't get as much relative value because Darvish is only 9% owned. So going through. I mean, this is pretty much what you do. Gallon had a good game, even though I played the Phillies against him. It was one of those slates where I had halfway through it. I'm just to, is there a bar? Should I even bother sweating this? Right? Like I've got Corbin in a third of my lineups. That's dead. Other teams, the Pirates are going off. The Diamondbacks are going off. I may have one or two of those types of lineups. And the Boston starting to put up runs. Cleveland, Zimmer is going nuts. Joe Ram, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Straws lead off home run. It's like, okay, that's the end of this. Close the laptop. How many of these lineups could I possibly have? I've drawn one lineup and Zimmer in like two of them. And I don't think they're in line with which straw. I mean, it's like the Joe Ram and I don't have that. That's why I didn't even bother. Past like nine o'clock, I was like, I'm done. Like, yeah, I got the Yankees coming up. So unless they put up like 45 runs, I'm probably dead. Probably dead. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay. So what are we going to talk about today? Schedule Friday, so it's up to you. Looking through. Looking through the bat projections. What do we got here? What, what, what are the stacks? What do the stacks look like today? Ceiling wise. Oh, Tampa Bay against Harvey. Okay. San Diego against Packy Naughton. Who the hell's Packy Naughton? Who's Andrew Alberts? Who are these people? Who's Glenn Otto? Who are these people? <laughs> Who are these people? But it's San Diego. Looks like San Diego, Milwaukee, Baltimore against McClanahan. You want to do that? Nationals against Rich Hill. As far as like point for dollar values. Tampa Bay with the highest ceiling by like seven points here. And from a pitching perspective, I still think, you know, Gilbert is probably a little bit too cheap. He's going to be chalky. I don't think he's going to be 10% down. I think he'll be more than that. Got Oda Rizzi against Texas at only 6,700. Nola and Cole will probably share, get the ownership as a 10K pitcher. Musgrove's there at 9,600. I don't think he's going to be 33% down. This is initial, this is initial ownership points. I don't know what Gausman's pitch count's going to be against Atlanta. I don't think he's even going to be 11% down. Or 19% for Eduardo Rodriguez. Is that going to happen at 9,400? I don't know. I think we'll see a lot of like, if you're going to build high, it's going to be Nola plus Cole. And if you're going to build low, it's going to be one of those two plus Gilbert or Odorizzi. That's probably going to be like the chalk type of build. I don't think Musgrove gets the 33% ownership. And hitters, but what's our initial ownership run on, on hitters? Oscar is going to be the highest stone. I don't, I don't know about that. Still going to get Boston chalk, right? Still going to get that. Toronto, Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay makes sense, obviously, against Harvey. But they're priced up fairly. I mean, low, Cruz is 5,300. But as of right now, it looks like Toronto, Tampa Bay. And anything, Boston, I guess, a little. Against Logan Allen. We don't know. And we don't, I mean, we don't have starting lineups out. So who knows? 
Do we even have the, are these even the right pitchers, right? Sometimes we don't even have the right pitcher. It's going to be a bullpen game. Is this guy going to start? Are they going to, you know, right? Zach Thompson. Right? We, didn't, he, didn't he pitch yesterday for the Marlins? Didn't he come in after? No, Thompson pitched. Okay, Thompson pitched for the, the other Thompson pitched for the Nationals after Corbin came out. And who's Glenn Otto? I don't even know. Andrew Albers. He, who's he? <laughs> Keegan Thompson. He sucks. Patrick Nolan. Is he a reliever? What's going on? That's why these team totals are high. Right? Looking at the team totals, Philadelphia is at over five. Tampa Bay's at six. The Mets are at five. Boston's at over five. Toronto over five. Houston over five. The White Sox over five. Milwaukee over five. And we don't have we don't have a line in that game yet. We don't have a line in some of these games yet. And how much can we talk about today's slate? It's 11 o'clock a.m. I don't know. Edward Brown, how big do your balls have to be to play cruel tomorrow? What, uh, the Norwich goalkeeper? That there's no, there's no problem with playing cruel tomorrow. The goal, they're goalkeepers. If you're not playing any Leicester, if you're not playing any Leicester City tomorrow, then play, then play cruel. I, 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 I think I'll have some cruel. I'll have some cruel lineups. Leicester has not looked that good, and like, like Norwich has played the two best teams in the league. Like yes, they're they're the worst. Yeah, they're, they're the worst team in the Premier League. They just came up from the Championship. They're a promoted side. They're probably going to be relegated. They're most likely to be relegated. Sure, yes. But these first two games they're playing, they're, I mean, they're, yes, they're going to look horrible against Manchester City, of course. Anyone, most teams will. Most, half the teams in the league would. Leicester? Well, I mean, Leicester's a good team, but they're not, they're not, Leicester isn't at the same level as Man City or Liverpool. Probably not even at the, barely at the same level maybe as Tottenham or Chelsea. Yeah, they're probably not, Norwich, you know, right? Leicester, Leicester, Chelsea's better than Leicester. I put Leicester more towards the Tottenham, Arsenal, Man United. No, Man United is pretty good also. So Leicester isn't that, I mean, Leicester isn't favored by that much. And Leicester's like a minus 170 favorite. Minus 150 or something over Norwich. Like Man City was like a minus 1200 favorite over Norwich last week. So you can't go by their performance. Go, don't go look, look at the game log. Yeah, gave up five goals, of course. The best team in the league. Against the worst team in the league, they're the, the the Leicester players. Like you may not, they're good in GPP. I don't I don't th- I don't think the Leicester players are going to be that popular tomorrow on the EPL slate. That's a five game slate. So if we even take a look, let's see where's the, where's the soccer stuff. DraftKings soccer. Let's let's see if uh, Alex and Sean put up some some tags and stuff. A little, I mean, didn't put any blurbs yet. We got James Ward Prowse. He's going to be chalky. Right. I mean, Bertrand's probably not fit. Right. If Bertrand's in, then you play him at 3,900 if he's taking set pieces for Leicester, but I don't think he plays. But I mean, even if you just take a look at the goalkeeper projections, which I 
Trust me, don't doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, it's all it's all. I mean, it's all about even, right? Gruel, Guaita, right? Would you rather play the Crystal Palace goalkeeper away to West Ham or Norwich goalkeeper home against Leicester? I'd rather play Gruel, but it's goalkeeper. Remember, it's the most varying position in soccer these days. He could give up one goal and have seven saves and be the highest scoring goalkeeper, even after the guy that has a shutout. Right? McCarthy shuts out Newcastle and has 10 points because he has no saves. Krul gives up one goal and has seven or eight saves. Gives up two goals, I mean, they'll have more points. So no, it's it's not it's it's not crazy. And I'm expecting Krul to actually be fairly popular. I think Krul may even be one of the most owned goalkeepers in cash games. On DraftKings. I don't think there's a, there's a goalkeeper worth paying up. No one's that big of a favorite. West Ham is the biggest favorite on the slate. And it's not. We're not talking about minus 400, minus 500 favorite. Like Ederson last week. Yeah, you're going to play 5,900 5, or 6,000, whatever he was. For, for, for a goalkeeper with a clean sheet odds of like 63%. Yeah, yeah. Fabianski isn't even close to that. So no, it's it's not it's not crazy to play Tim Krul tomorrow. It's actually not even not crazy. It's probably probably more likely that you would than than you wouldn't. Eric Hiltpold, NFL Cash Games. Can you remind about general correlation stacking strategies for cash? There's none. Cash games, you don't care about that. Okay, there are three levers of DFS. Okay, I talk about this in the theory of daily fantasy sports, which is a, uh, I could always throw that on the screen for advertisement, right? I talk about this in, in my 15 hour audio masterclass, right? So you can pick this up at theoryofdfs.com. Okay, there are three levers, primary levers in DFS, projection, correlation, and leverage. Okay, so projection is like what, 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 are the, what is the range of outcomes of the player? So we, when we look at lineup HG, we're talking about the fan, the median fantasy points and the range, right? Because we see floor, ceiling, it's a distribution. So this would be projection. Correlation would mean, well, if Teoscar Hernandez does well, it's more likely that Bobachet also does well. It's more likely that Vlad Guerrero, it's more likely. And... If Hernandez does badly, it's more likely that Bichette does badly, right? So in NFL, quarterback, wide receivers, guys on the same teams, where one guy gets points, the other guy gets points, that's correlation, right? So Tyreek Hill has a good game. Most likely, Patrick Mahomes also has a good game. But if Tyreek has a bad game, then it's most likely Mahomes has a bad game, okay? So that's the second level. That lever adds variance, right? Because you're you're tying players together. So you get a bunch of people that do well, a bunch of people that don't do well. Then you have leverage, which is pretty much ownership. You're utilizing ownership to exploit the field. So the lower owned your players are, the more valuable their points are. The more higher owned they are, the more the less valuable they are. Okay, so those are the three levers of DFS. Now, when you're playing cash games, what's the difference between cash games and GPPs? The one big difference, and it changes everything, is that cash games are not progressively payout 
structured contest. You're going to play 114-man double up. The top 50 double their money. But if you come in 50th, it's just as good as coming in first. So those extra points you get from 50th to first are, are useless. So you want to you aim, you want to optimize, you want to maximize your probability of coming in 50th. Not coming in first. You're not maximizing for that. Coming in first. Just coming in 50th. So you, you don't need the highest score. You just need a high enough score, which means you're going to be focusing more on the median than on the ceiling of players. You're going to be focusing more on the median of your lineup than the ceiling of your lineup. You're going to be focusing on lowering your variance, the variance of your lineup, rather than increasing it. You'd rather get within a narrow range than have a lot of correlation. So you have a wider range and leverage wise, you don't need it. In fact, you prefer to have negative leverage, right? When in, when in doubt, you'll, I, I, I could choose between two players in my lineup at the same price, same, whatever. One's going to be in cash and double ups, 40% on, and one's going to be 10% on. I'll take the 40% on guy. The act, that leverage of having this 10% on guy, what does that get you? Once you get to the 50th spot and they'll double up, once you get to the halfway point, you don't get anywhere, you don't get anything. You either double your money, you don't. 50 50, head to head, whatever. All you have to do is get to the median. So in cash games, in any sport, you're more likely to play higher owned lineups that have less correlation. They're not good for GPPs. Because you're not increasing the variance and you're not getting leverage. So for NFL cash games, you're more like, like, oh, well, if I want to play this wide receiver, I should play the quarterback. No, don't, don't even think about it. Play the best point for dollar value in, for your entire lineup and it doesn't matter. That means you're playing a deep, the 2K defense against your running back. Who cares? Well, that's neg that's negative leverage. Well, what it's cash games. You actually you actually almost prefer that instead. You just optimize by the by ownership, you'd be fine. Now in GPPs, it's a progressive payout structure. You come in fit in a 114 band GPP. Maybe you have to come in 20th place just to double your money, just to double your money, not even 50th. And then every place to every more points that you get, you get more money. And it gets very steep towards the top. So those points up there by the ceiling are worth a lot of money. In double ups, they're worth like nothing. So your goal is to aim for that top, that top over there. So you need to increase your variance. You need to add leverage. So GPPs, you're most likely going to be stacking. You're most likely going to I'm going to fade the, this running back and play the lower own running back. You're more likely to do things like that. But in cash games, you're just looking to optimize and maximize for that, that 55th percentile outcome for your entire line. So that's why, like, in NFL, you could those three levers, like, you know what the lever you need? The projection lever. And that's, that's pretty much almost everything is going to be the projection lever. And then you look at the other two levers, the correlation in the leverage levels, you'd actually rather them be the, the reverse. Do I have too much correlation? Too much? Am I going way off the board in my, my cash games? 
probably want to tone that down, even if the projection is decent. I mean, I'll sacrifice. I actually take a slightly lower projection so I have a higher own player. Sometimes that's the best move. So don't worry. Don't worry. Like cash games, you're not worried. In, like in baseball, you're playing baseball cash games. I don't care about stacking cash games in baseball. Getting GPPs, that is what you're doing. You're not going to play eight one-offs. But in cash games, you would, because who cares about the correlation? Some guys 2,600 when they should be 3,800, you play that guy. Doesn't matter what team they're on. Brett Booth in process, in process. I think, I think we're talking about soccer. What's the process for determining a floor for forwards for cash lines? Projection only gives median out of one standard deviation range like MLB. Uh, in soccer, we'll, we'll go to the soccer, soccer forwards, especially. It applies to everything. Typically, if they're if they're center forwards, if they're if they're players that don't do much else other than score goals and they don't touch the ball that frequently typically they're the they're the high variance those are the wide range of outputs players like i take a look at adam armstrong here right adam armstrong 7k he has a rejection of 12.64 i can tell you he's not getting he's not getting to 12 without a goal or an assist i guess he's not just oh he's gonna cross and then he's gonna shoot no he's a center forward Ivan Tony, same thing. Callum Wilson, same thing. Danny Ings, same thing. Like, you go, just go by fantasy points. You're going to get Antonio, right? He's 15 points. He's, yeah, maybe he'll take six shots. Yeah, you could do that. But I mean, his points are going to come primarily. 11.7. He needs like two goals for that price. Vardy, same thing. Jared Bowen, on the other hand, plays wide. And he has a half share of the set piece taking the free kicks. Jared Brown could get to 12 without a goal or an assist. Pascal Gross could get to 11 without a goal or an assist. Even Anwar El Ghazi, he plays wide. He draws fouls. He, he crosses the ball, takes some shots. You can look at all the peripheral stats. So he would have a higher floor. Anyone that, that gets more peripheral points than goals and assists. So that's how you have to think. When you're thinking about floor, especially when it comes to forwards is if we just removed goals and assists from the slate completely, that all, every game is going to end zero, zero. Who would, who would the best plays be point for dollar? Well, Antonio wouldn't, Vardy wouldn't, Armstrong wouldn't, Bowen could get there. Gross could get 12, 12 points is a goal's worth of points. So if you say that there's going to be no goals on this slate, that means Antonio busts, Vardy busts, Armstrong busts, Bowen, Bowen could get there. Gross could get there. El Ghazi maybe could get there. Iannaccio, if he plays, won't be in there. He's, he's a striker. Ings is a striker. Adams, Wilson, Tony, all these guys. Ben Rahm is a little bit more active, but I wouldn't pay 10-3 for him. Zaha could get there. Zaha has a lower floor than, than, than Bowen or Gross. But Zaha could draw three fouls, two crosses, two shots. Maybe he gets 10 points without a goal and assist. Calvert-Lewin, no, that's likely not going to happen. Calvert-Lewin's right in the center. He's going an entire half and only touch the ball six times. Two of those times are shots. And if they go in, they're great. But if they don't, he's sitting there with two points. But like Alan St. Maximum, he's more active. Richarlison's more active. 
Townsend's more active. Mimbueno's more active. Right? But these projections are going to show, like, the end of time goal scoring odds for, like, these guys are, like, 50% on this slate. Or a little bit, a little bit, like, 45%. So if a goal is worth 12 points, that means six points is already baked into this for one goal and probably another two points for the brace. So Antonio, like half of his projection is, is him scoring at least one, if not more goals. Same for Vardy, which means you take away six to eight points from all these types of guys. Their scores don't look all that well, right? Maybe not Bowen, but Armstrong, Vardy, right? Vardy's 9,500. Imagine if he doesn't score. He's going to be sitting there with four points, five points, maybe. Now, for GPPs, you're looking for goals. Yeah, obviously. These guys have upside for two. They score two or three in a game. But for cash games, you're more likely to look at Bowen, Gross, and Bueno, or Charleston even, Trossard, Almiron, if you want to punt even lower. Rajishka, if he starts, I'm not even sure about that for Norwich. Like, if you look at the formations of the teams, like, I'll even show you. Like, go to Sofa Score. You can check before at nine o'clock Eastern, they'll start posting the formations of the starting lineups. But they have pro- they have the projected, right? What they think. Right. So we take a look at Newcastle Southampton. They put the possible lineup. So this is Newcastle's lineup. Now, typically they play with Richie this, and Murphy Moore's wing backs. And Alan St. Maximum typically plays like in like as a Almost as a number 10, he goes all over the place. And Callum Wilson kind of just is sitting there in the middle. So it's more likely that the wide players, like Sean Longstaff is a central defensive midfielder. He ain't going to do, he ain't going to get wide. You can't cross from the middle of the field. So he may get some tackles and stuff, but he's, he's not going to get forward. Willock and Almiron are going to be getting forward and filling the center space. Richie comes up the wings and Murphy comes up the wings. So anyone that's anyone that attacks from in these areas, in these wide forward areas, are typically good for peripheral points. And the guys that play right in the center are good for you know, scoring goals because typically that's where the pass is going to go. Right, you're, you're the closest to the goal, so you're more likely to score a goal. And then we take a look at Southampton. They play in a weird, yeah, they they do play in a weird formation. Typically, Wal- Walcott is more wide. Gineppo would be more wide. And then you have two Adams and Armstrong are both kind of like, they don't, they don't really move wide. Southampton plays more of a four, four, two type of system with like two pure strikers. So from a peripheral point perspective, you almost, you'd rather have Walcott and Jigenipo who are cheap than Armstrong or Adams. But for upside, you'd rather have Armstrong or Adams, right? Take a look at Norwich Leicester. You got a lot like Lester's lineup, like Vardy's. He's sitting there right up top, center forward, which means he has the best chance of scoring goals, but he ain't going to do much else. Who's he, who's he crossing it to? He's the one up there. Who's the one? Who's the one he's setting a chance for, creating a chance for? No one. He's he's the one. It would be per, it would be Madison Barnes, Pereira if he starts. Obviously, he could start more forward. This could be all Brighton tomorrow. I don't know. So the fullbacks move forward. 
So basically, Barnes and Pereira here are more likely to be good peripheral plays. Madison, okay. Center, not crossing, but still taking shots and creating chances. And the guys that are in the back, like Ndidi, Ndidi's a defensive midfielder. So he's going to be he's going to be sitting in the center all the time, protecting the back line. So from a peripheral perspective, that's that's why he's like thirty four hundred, right? That's why he's cheap, right? And same same thing for the center backs, like they ain't going forward. They ain't, they really ain't getting peripheral points because they show up for the goal, sure, once in a blue moon, yes. But that's how you would determine. So even though on the, on the, you know, you don't get this floor ceiling type of stuff for the soccer projections, that's how you should be really thinking about it. So like in cash games, I probably, I'm, I'm, you're probably not going to see Barty in my lineup. Problem. I'm saying the word problem. You're not going to see Barty in my lineup. You're not going to see Antonio at 11-7 in my lineup. You may not even see Antonio at 11-7 in any of my lineups. And I can see Che Adams in my cash lineup. It's, it's, it's just not going to happen. On a five-game slate, you're going to see the guys that can get can at least get eight to ten points without uh, having to worry necessarily about scoring a goal or getting an assist. Peter Corey, how much Al Hassan will I have tomorrow? I'll I'll, I'll talk about uh, MMA in a second. Just want to get get the questions out of the way. Eric Hiltbold, how about large field versus small field GVPs? Do you take a more cash games-like approach for small field? No, I, I actually do the complete opposite. I've said this before. It's easier to find leverage in the small field contests because people do that. I'm exploiting that. Doesn't mean you have to go nuts, though. No, it just means that the players that are going to be high-owned are going to be even higher-owned in single entry or three max, 50 to 1,000 field size type of GPPs. So if you have a running back, let's say Dalvin Cook is 33% owned in the large, the millionaire. Well, it's quite possible in the small field, GPP is 45%, right? Whoever, whatever the chalk uh, $4,200 wide receiver that's 20% owned in the millimaker, he's 40% owned. In the small field comp because they're, they're people are playing more more of a cash type of lineup. So does does that mean you oh then you fade all the chalk? No, no, that doesn't mean that. It just means that it's much easier to find leverage points. So you could say, well, if Dalvin Cook's going to be forty five percent on on a twelve game NFL slate in the single entry contest, I'm going to play Joe Mixon here instead, especially if the people are playing the Bengals passing. And all the players that are like 10% owned in the milli are going to be like 5% owned in single entry three max. So you get more leverage. Does it mean you play 10 of those people? No, it means you can play two of them. Find one or two leverage points. And there you go. And then the rest of your lineup could be chalky as hell. Very similar to MMA. Like the guy that's going to be, the fighter that's going to be 48% owned in the Bloodfield GPP maybe. In the 555, maybe 67% owned. So you know what I'm more likely to do? Play the fighter against that guy in the 555. Because if that guy loses and the underdog wins at 5% ownership, that I mean, that's the only leverage point I need. I'm killing two, two-thirds of the lineups. 
I'm getting a 5% owned fighter that's in the winning lineup. You know, what's the other five spots in my, my MMA lineup are the chalk, every, whatever, however else it fills out. Now in the large field GPP, yeah, he still may be the highest owned fighter, but he's nowhere near as high owned as he would be in the 555. So it gives you more opportunity to get leverage in your lineup. So just like in baseball, in the 121, like you won't see me play the, the top-owned stack or anything. I'm probably, I may even play the pitcher against it, right? The top or the top-owned, I may play the stack against the top-owned pitcher in the single entry because I know that that pitcher is going to be even more owned. Like if I was playing the 121 yesterday, I possibly would have played the Royal stack in that if Kukuchi was going to go over-owned, right? Maybe you don't stack against Scherzer or Sale, if Kikuchi is going to be 23% owned in the large field, he may be 32% owned in the small field. And as an SP2 type of pitcher, I'll play the Royals at basically no ownership. Killed a third of the lineups and, and, and bink that way. But people don't think that way. They go, oh, well, that's risky. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm aiming for first place. But after I do that one thing of like fade Kikuchi, play the Royals, I could have three Boston bets. I could have Kyle Schwarber in that lineup if I wanted. I could have Max Scherzer in that lineup. I've already made that one huge leverage point that I can make because the ownership gets so condensed. And the rest of my lineup could be, you know, play wherever you want at that point, whatever the best projection is at that point. You're fine. Uh, let's see. Daniel says, FD soccer is so bad, so you play there at all? No, I don't play FanDuel soccer. Anything I talked about soccer today was based on DraftKings. It's a whole different scoring system on FanDuel. So don't, don't, don't take anything that I said. Actually, in the cash games, you're more likely to, on FanDuel, you're more likely to play the goal-dependent goal guys because no one gets points otherwise. It's, 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 and, you play, and you're playing the, the worst central defenders because they're going to get clearances. It's a, it's a horrible scoring system. Okay, MMA. You like you like casual fries. We talk about a bunch of stuff. Okay, so I got I got my sheet up. And this has the RG ownership and projection in it, which will change because I don't agree with some of this stuff as it is. Uh, okay, so overall, edge for tomorrow's MMA slate. Okay, it's a different edge. Every week is always going to be a different edge. If you take a look, uh, it's a very low level card. I mean, this is a lot of the ultimate fighter like matchups. I think that this card used to have real fights on it. And then like, like I think like six or seven fights got canceled over the past month. And they just added like ultimate fighter people onto this. So we can see here with inside the distance, like we have some 9K guys that have inside the distance probabilities that are absurd. 60, 68, 61% up here. We have minus 620, minus 45, minus 410, minus 265, minus 245. Like D. Chiricho, Justin Jacoby's minus 192. Remember last, last week's slate, there was no fighter that had odds to win that were higher than that. And they were 9,400, right? So we have a bunch of fighters up here in the 9K range that are vastly better from an inside the distance perspective than the middle range fighters. But the problem is you can't roster them. So we see this ownership here, like Petrosky, 55%. Mike Tyson, 
Muradov, 45%. Martinez, 48%. They will be the, they, between those three and the main event fighters are going to be the highest owned players on the slate. The problem is you can't play all three of these guys. You can't play three of them, which will always leave ownership open that it's going to come in under the inside the distance probability. That's why we can see here, they're the highest owned fighters, yet they still have positive ratings in my, in my little leverage model. Because, oh, Petrosky's going to, uh, oh, I can't play Petrosky. He's going to be 55% owned. Yeah, but he has a 68% chance of winning inside the distance. He has a 48% chance of winning in round one, which is like a 100 plus point score, pretty much. But he's only going to be 55% owned, right? Now, if we took out one of these non-K fighters, we took out one of Muradov, Petrosky, Martinez, then everything would start going. To, then we'd see the ownership go up. Then they'd be 60, 70% owned. The problem is, is that we have three of those guys and you can't play, you, you pretty much, I don't think you could play all three in the same order. You have to choose between them. Then we have uh, JJ Aldrich, the only women's fight on the slate. She's a massive favorite over this Vanessa Demopoulos, who looks awful. I mean, she's the worst rated fighter here because her chances of putting up 100 plus points is like barely, like almost impossible in comparison. But Aldrich's inside the distance is only 350. So like 350 for a $9,100 fighter is like, like an underdog range type of, type of inside the distance. So she's going to go very low owned because look in comparison to these other 9K fighters. But she gets insane amounts of leverage by doing so. Now she went, she will be in the winning lineup within two conditions. One is less likely and one is more likely. Aldrich would be in the winning lineup if she just I'm quick win. Even though it's yeah, it's play, it's 625, 14% chance in round one. It could happen. Look at Chan Buys a couple of weeks ago. Head kick, first, you know, 50, 50 seconds in. KO. I mean, it could happen. And then Aldrich outscores Murdov, Mitrowski, and Martinez. So that's one scenario. Or the scenario is, is that Aldrich puts up 95 points in a first, you know, it, it does enough, you know, has plenty of strikes, maybe gets a second round stoppage. And then these other fighters just, just go to decision. Like, they just don't get there third round stoppage and, you know, Muradov doesn't have enough volume and he's sitting there with, you know, 82 points. And it's like, okay, 82 isn't bad, but probably not going to be optimal on a slate. He's 9,300 and Aldridge puts up 93, you know, like something like that. But she has to beat out like three of the guys, four even, even DiCiriccio up here. So I'll probably, I'll probably be over the field on Aldridge, but I don't think I'm going to go nuts. I'm more likely to play Aldrich in lineups that have another one of another one of the, the higher price fights. That one of these three do get there and less likely to have the main event. Because we see here with these ratings here, it the, the ratings on all these higher price guys or girls are high, and the ones on the underdogs are so low, is per, is primarily because of just roster construction. Like these underdogs are bad underdogs in comparison to their prices, but you have to own them in order to get, I mean, you have to, 
How are you spending 50000 You can't spend it all over here. You have to take one or two of these guys. So they obviously didn't get ownership. <clears throat> I think the mid-range, I think the most likely scenario, most lineups are going to look like two people up here, two people down here-ish, and then one of the main event fighters. So people are going to go like Petrovsky, Martinez, Barbosa, High Stand, Alvi, or something. You know, maybe Daniel Rodriguez. Like that's what it'll look like. Or Al Hassan, because in the past he's been like a round one knockout artist. Hasn't looked good recently. So how do you get different from that? I think you get different from that by doing one of two things. So remember that 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 lineup construction: two guys from up here, two guys from down here, and and something in the middle right? The main event. So if you're going to play two up here and two down there, fade the main event. If you're going to only play one from up here, then play the main. Then you, then you play the main event and you play a couple of these Tercios. If high stand is going to be popular at 32% is the biggest, un, uh, the most popular underdog playing Tercios. Makes sense for leverage. And they're, they're, these guys are positive. I mean, look at all this red in the underdog range. The highest rated ones here compared to their current projected ownership is like Gilmore, 0.89. I mean, that's still barely theirs. Alvi, Salvatini. But typically in these ratings, typically I'm playing underdogs with like 0.8 and above. Sometimes I find like there's none that are underowned compared to their probability of success of, of a, a hundred points. Like none of them. But this also reeks out the fact that the most likely, like you could glean out of this without running simulations, glean that the most probable winning lineup in a large field GPP is only going to have one underdog. This is, a, this is a card that it's more likely that a high scoring losing fighter could end up in the optimal line. Right? Let's say all of those, Muradov, Petrovsky, and Martinez all win in for the first round and score on average 110 points. And the main event, the fighter only scores 75. Like, how do you fit these three? Like, well, if, uh, if uh, Darren Stewart has, you know, 23 points, 40, 45 points as the highest scoring underdog that lost, that may be optimal. Does that mean you stack fights? No, I still don't do that. But just based on this, just that all the, these underdogs are, are over-owned based on their projection and all the favorites are under-owned, but primarily not because the field is inefficient. The field can't roster these guys together. So they're going to have two lines. You have lineups that have Meredov Petrovsky, but no Martinez. You have Martinez Meredov, but no Petrovsky. I can have a lot of those types of things, and that's going to take up the 45, 55, 48% ownership. This dead range over here is more like did Chiricho to Termo. Like this, the uh, Emmer's up to here, like this. Now, does that mean, oh, let's just build a mid range lineup? Yeah, that, that'll be contrary. I still think it's, I think, still think it's going to be, just look at these odds. It's probably unlikely that all three, three, three of these high, ITD guys fail. It's probably unlikely because there's three of them. 
But I think I'm more likely to have at least one in a while. And less likely to have the main event because the main event is always over. The main, this is, a, this is another main event. Not as much as last week. Not as much as the week before, the slate before with Gon and Lewis. But uh, Rebosa Shikadze is more of a strike. Like the, this could easily be the most pre- way to go is that uh, they get 20 strikes apiece, 20 significant strikes around, and it goes to decision. No takedowns, no knockdowns, no nothing. So that's 100 significant strikes per fighter. You get 0.4 for them. That's 40 points total, plus 30 for the decision win. That's 70 points. So these guys are over-owned for, for, for putting up big scores. The problem comes in is that they're in a range, 8,200, 8,000, that you have to fill anyway. So that's why I said, if, you, if you're going to play two guys, two, two, two of the high-owned guys up here, maybe you fade because you fade for Bozer or Chikadze. But if you're not, if you're going down the middle, then maybe you do play the main. It doesn't matter that they're over. Like if you're fading Murad, Muradov, Petrovsky, and Martinez in a lineup, then do whatever the hell you want at that point. Who cares? Who cares about the main event being overall? Maybe, maybe Barbosa goes out and gets a first round uh, victory. Who knows? But that's how I see it. Obviously, this is all, these are all updated for, you know, as of now. Like I said, this RJ ownership, I don't necessarily agree completely with. Now, obviously, I'll be adding ownership from other places, projections from other places. Like, is Aldrich, yeah, I think, I think Aldrich is going to be 13% owned. Or I think Kevin Lewis is going to be 33. I think it'll be slightly lower. I think Battle will be lower. I think Tercios may be lower. People are going to have to find underdogs to put in. I think people are going to go to Daniel Rodriguez, Brady Highstand, and Abdul Razaka Al-Hassan. I think more of that ownership is going to go there. I don't think I don't think Vanessa Demopoulos is going to be eighteen percent owned. Like we, I have him as I have her as the worst. Like I think she's going to be like twelve percent owned. Which still makes her the worst, but I mean, it's it's. I'm just saying that I don't necessarily agree with all the RG ownership as it stands now, but they'll update it. They'll update it later today. They'll update it tomorrow. So it's just all based on what I'm looking at now. But it shouldn't change all that much, right? These these high green guys aren't going to just turn red, and none of these deep deep red guys are going to turn green. It's not it's not going to happen. Uh, Charlie Gowap. I'm sorry. This is called the DFS pregame show. So we talk about DFS strategy. You realize that everything I talked about MMA would help you in today's baseball. This is going to be very hard to cover a baseball slate where we don't have final ownership and we don't have starting lineups. We don't have final projections. So what are we supposed to talk about? If you have a question about it, sure. That's why it's up to you. That's why you put in, hey, on today's slate, X, Y, and Z. And you could do that. I mean, look at yesterday. I wasn't even planning on playing that early three-game slate. I didn't. But someone was like, can you just take a look in which, which, 
which is the best place for leverage on that. Okay, let's look through it. Let's see. Brewers didn't work out. I said the Brewers are the White Sox, right? They either stack against Gray or against Ryu. The right answer was Reed, right? I think the right answer was another team. And then I don't think it wouldn't matter either way. But it wasn't the Brewers. That's why this, this is a strategy show. Grinders Live. You want to tune in at 5.30 for Grinders Live? They'll talk all the way through. You know, because you know why at 5.30? 5.30 Eastern time. We got all the lineups in. We got five, we got owner, we got updated ownership projections and 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 player projections and slate IQ and all the tools and all everything like that is updated. That's why the first 15, 20 minutes we talk about yesterday's stuff. We go over what sharp players did yesterday and review and learn and learn how to apply that to any sport. Especially on Fridays, it's casual, which means you know, we got stuff coming up on the weekend. You'll see next month. Well, some days we'll talk about showdown NFL. There'll be basketball coming back. And MLB may in October, maybe the MLB playoff showdown, something. Some it's it's really it's all up to you in the YouTube chat. I wasn't even planning on talking that much about soccer today, but someone asked. So I'm gonna do it. But yes. So you could you be feel feel free to give give the thumbs down button. That's perfectly fine. That they'll help us out anyway. But everyone else, give me those thummy thumbs. Give me those thummy thumbs. Uh hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Notification bell to know when we go live. Grinders live, 5:30. Then for premium members, crunch time, 6:30. So sign up for Roto Grinders Premium. $10 off your first month by clicking on the link in the description. And you get all of that. So uh, good luck on tomorrow's uh, MMA slate. Like if you don't if you don't realize why what I described for the MMA slate will help you in NFL, especially NFL showdown, especially in showdown type of contests. Like that's what you should be learning. So oh, I don't play MMA. Like well, what can I glean out of this? I mean, the simple thing is like oh, I glean just the simple concept of oh, there's certain metrics that measure success compare that probability versus the ownership like if you just got that concept you'll probably be a winning dfs player like that's the biggest concept there is in all of wagering what's the probability of an event happening am i getting paid more than that how do i get paid more than that by the field not playing them often enough so that's why i could look here and go oh J.J. Aldridge still has a 22% chance of winning inside the distance. Only going to be 13% owned. I'm playing that. If Aldridge was 30% owned, I wouldn't. But it doesn't change the probability of it happening. It just changed what, what your opponents are going to do. The same thing applies to baseball. So you take a look at, you know, the pitcher project. You go take a look at the ownership and whatever. It's like, like how often does so-and-so get there that it's worth playing at that ownership? Right, so take a look at Wade Miley, 4% owned. Matt's 2% owned. Manaya against the Yankees. I don't think anyone's going to go there. Right, 3% owned. I think Manaya is a great play. Not because I think he's going to do well. I don't know what he's going to do. But if he's only going to be 3% owned, his success rate is maybe 10%. Okay? We put it into a probability. 10% of the time, he puts up 25-plus points. 
Right. We can even see here with the ceiling. That, that, that's, I'm underestimating. The ceiling is the 75th percentile in the bat. So what this is saying is that 25% of the time, he scores at least 30 points. Okay? Well, he's only going to be 3% off. That's way under 25, so you should be playing him. Here, Garrett Cole, 25% of the time, he puts up 33 points. Well, he's going to be 33% off, which means he's probably over-owned. Musgrove is probably over-owned. Odorizzi, maybe not, because you get the discount on his price. Right? Nola. Nola may be efficient, more efficiently owned. Because look, his ceiling is 36. 25% of the time, he'll score 36 or more points. He's going to be 29% owned. So in comparison to Cole, Nola at 29% owned versus Cole at 33% owned is a better play in a vacuum. Do you change this ownership? You do that, right? And you go, oh, Nola's going to be 45% owned. And Cole's going to be 17% off. You know who the better play is now? Cole. So without these numbers, without this, like there's, there's no strategic assessment we could really make. And these numbers aren't, I mean, these numbers, we don't have the lineup. We don't even have the lineups in. So all these projections are going to change. Some guy's out of the lineup. This guy, he's going to face three more lefties and then, then his projection goes up. And then this guy's out of the line. We have we have a a, a, a hitter, right? That's out of Bo Bichette, who's going to be the most uh, highest owned shortstop, is not playing anymore. Well, that obviously then some other shortstop starts moving up, and now every all this other ownership changes. So what am I supposed to do at eleven o'clock in the morning when we don't have any of that information? We could make some conjecture. So if you have any questions, you could obviously you could obviously ask. But other than that, it's kind of it's kind of hard to go over any type of strategy without these numbers. But that's what they'll do. On Grinders Live later today, 5:30, crunch time, 6:30. Give me those thummy thumbs, and I'll be back. I'll be back again next week. Next week, discussing DFS strategy in any sport, primarily baseball, since it's baseball season, but we'll be back for you know NFL football. I don't play hockey, but I could still, I could talk NHL strategy if you wanted when that comes back. But that's what we do on this show on Mondays through Fridays at 11 o'clock Eastern for the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.